When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Director of the Holocaust drama The Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer, has described his film as two films the one you see and the one you hear. My guest this week, Johnny Byrne, is the brilliant sound designer on the film. Byrne has worked with Glazer on movies and music videos for decades, but embarking on this project was frightening and working on it incredibly difficult, including on a personal level. But what they achieved is one of the best and most powerful films of the year. In the zone of interest, we follow Commandant Rudolf Huss and his wife Hedwig, played by Christian Friedel and Sandra Huller, their children and their beautiful home and garden, with just a wall separating them from the extermination camp. It's the normality of evil, a film that speaks as much to the past as to the present. I just want to say that in the first part of our conversation about creating the soundscape from Zone of Interest, the talk includes some very difficult and emotional things to hear. This is not the only movie Johnny Byrne has this Oscar season. He's also worked on the critically acclaimed and award-winning Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, together with another longtime collaborator, director Yorgos Lantimos. We also talk about creating alien sounds for Jordan Peele's Nope. What's his relationship to sound when he's not working, when he's just walking around as a civilian? What sounds he hates? And what Madonna taught him? We get into all that and more. Here is my fascinating conversation with Johnny Byrne. Mr. Byrne, thank you so much for joining me. Christina, lovely to meet you. Thank you for your time. We're going to get into several of your films and work, but I want to start with your incredible work with Jonathan Glazer in Zone of Interest. Now, you have worked together with him for decades. When he approached you with the Zone of Interest, what was your first reaction? <laughs> Yeah, I have worked for decades on many projects, um, you know, outside of films as well, like, uh, you know, um, pop promos and commercials, things like that. But and and so we discussed the zone of interest in the years following Under the Skin. And John does gestate for some time, but I read the script probably first, maybe a year before filming. And my reaction was sort of somewhere near panic, probably. It was, oh, my goodness, this film you know requires such responsibility in two ways you know like the the film really needs uh, an enormous uh, amount of work from sound in order to make the whole thing work and the responsibility and the immersion in in the subject matter and and of getting that right without sensationalizing and uh, yeah so um my initial reaction was something pretty close to i'm sorry i can't do this <laughs> and then you know obviously um figuring out how to do it and and reacting by spending a year researching everything that I could. 
What was it he said to you? I'm sure it wasn't just one conversation, but that made you feel that we could make this important movie in the right way. We knew that um, sound was going to be important and that and that it was going to um, convey, you know, John was was very clear that we would never go inside the camp and, and that we all know, you know, we all have images in our head of the atrocities and um, and there's absolutely no interest from John, you know, or myself or anyone else to 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 be displaying any of that. So I think that, you know, the challenge of drawing pictures in in people's heads is really, you know, obviously why I, why I was interested on a kind of, I suppose, selfish professional level. But but more importantly, you know, uh, telling the story, uh, making sure this is not forgotten. You've said that there's basically two films here, the one you hear and the one you see. Talk about what the film is that we hear. Yeah, so the film we hear is this constant juxtaposition of we have the uh, the film one is, is the film you see, and that's the mundanity of the Hoss's family life with an enormous amount of detail to deliver an immersion of credibility. And the film that you hear is is a soundscape of horror, and it's you know the most violent film I've ever worked on, and it's and it's the the death of many hundreds of thousands of people and and it is the result of um you know a a year of research and and a year of creation of sounds as best as possibly made to recreate um those uh, those actions and those events and then carefully placed on the film in order to as unsensationally as possible tell the story without going to the point of having to show any of this. You talk about the research. What what kind of research was it? And what did you learn from it in terms of the auditory soundscape that you were making? Yeah, I mean, originally I just thought, wow, we, we need to know everything about what happened here and what that would have sounded like and how it would have sounded. And so from a sort of practical point of view, the physicality of, you know, like I, I had a map and I, I knew that, uh, that block had a lot of German guards in it, but this one was French prisoners, and these ones were Polish. And so, where those different voices would come from in the in the soundscape of a theatre, and uh, and that you know the execution block where the volleys of six gunshots would regularly ring out, murdering eighty people a day, that came from one hundred and fifty yards away, and uh, and that we would have to record that you know, at that correct distance with the correct reflections of other buildings and to sound appropriate and and that we would need to know when it would be the right time to, to use those sounds. And and also things like, you know, understanding that the guns that they used were the ones from the First World War because, you know, the modern war machines would, would go to the front line. And so all the all the vehicles and all the um things like that were, were all actually very old and but getting those specifically correct so that whenever we hear cars passing on the road you know it was the right stuff but but the the bulk of it and the certainly the more onerous task was was reading witness testimony and having access to the uh, archives at Auschwitz Museum and and just reading and reading and reading for months and with and my team and and you know my father and my brother helped me you know just reading everything we could and collating uh, data so that any time an event was described that might have an acoustic signature to it I would document that and and I created a large document that that was a series of events that we would then use our recordings to as best as we could uh, recreate or reenact these scenarios 
and you know and there were other sources like you know john would you know whenever he found found anything he would send it to me and it might you know there were many drawings that survivors made and you know a picture telling a thousand words would would describe a scene then we would you know make the sound of that and so basically it was researching to create a document and document gave us a, a library and the library was of hundreds and hundreds of different events that we understood had happened and uh, and, and other things like you know the sound of literally the electric fence and and that there were uh, armament manufacturing and textile manufacturing and and the sound of the crematoria of course and 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 the sound of of you know a uh, hundred people wearing wooden clogs marching across a, a gravelly surface and all of those things that we needed to have in our disposal because the process of making the film was was that we created film one we kind of finished it and that was a nice family drama. Um, and and we and we didn't put any of film two onto that until we had that one pretty much locked down. So so I had through research and you know I had the whole of the shoot and the first year of post production to get all the this other soundscape ready so that when John felt it was the right time you know we could we could then start introducing that. You talked about that you were reading some events. Is there any particular event you can? tell me about that you read that really struck you in terms of thinking of its sound yeah I mean there was so I mean people would choose to run at the electric fence um rather than continue with what they were doing and some of those things were were so awful that you know we'd put them in and then took them out because mm -hmm. something that didn't make it in because it was just uh, too blood curdling and came across as sensationalized and um and you know, and that people were regularly whipped, you know, for no reason at all. And, and that there were um, guards would murder people on the spot for, um, you know, for insolence or for, <clears throat> or for seemingly fun or whatever. But so that, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. But yeah, that was the hard bit. You know, even talking about it now is pretty awful. But yeah, but yeah I can. Bursting that for a period of time is tricky. Yeah, I mean, I I had a honestly a very physical reaction after seeing the movie this summer. It took me quite a while afterwards. Left the theater and sat down. And and what was that like for you? I can, I mean, just hearing you speak of it, I can see and hear that it's very impactful. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, certainly. My wife said, you know, early on, she was like, "I think you're getting depressed." And 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 certainly, the process of making any film is always an immersion, and it's. Uh, but this more so than any other and an enormous and you know and we worked really hard right up until the Cannes premiere and you know those last months were very long and weirdly I woke up the morning after the Cannes premiere and had a terrible headache and a rash all over my legs and I got viral meningitis and I was in hospital oh, for wow. like a week and the doctor explained to me something to do with you know having a lot of cortisol and then and then, and then, you know, that stops and that's what's kept the bug anyway. But so I think it you literally a had a physical reaction to I actually, emotion. yeah, wow. I actually did. So, um, but you know, but the story needs telling and, and yeah. it's not like I was there. So, uh, you know, definitely lucky and that's fine. But talking about the process, you were mentioning that you actually, you went out and you recorded Talk a little about how you and Jonathan work. So John was like, I'm going to go and shoot this film. And in the meantime, you're going to go and, you know, get the sound that we'll need for later. And and 
and we agreed that you know i said well how about i i spend this year trying to make 24 hours in auschwitz and what the sound of that would be and and he said great you know that's the, let's start with that and so that was kind of my brief of you know and john the, the kind of one thing he said to me was what i don't ever want to do is get 10 actors in a booth in, in you know a sound room and say right now pretend this is happening you know because that's just never going to work so you know and and to be honest we did you know i mean i did actually try that kind of stuff but it uh, the sound that you hear is is pretty much all um sound re-recorded re in real life and it's repurposed for example we went to various different football matches around europe where different nationality young men would be playing and if you go to a football match where it's low division and there are no spectators you will invariably hear someone screaming in pain and that and that is real and it finding places like where things like that happen um hospitals are good places for pain you know things like that and the Paris riots we visited um, and we listened to the torture in Belarus that happened a few years ago and things. So just, you know, having enough time to spend combing the real world for, for things that actually have authenticity, because um, it was extraordinary. The minute we put in anything that was not credible, it would so stick out like a sore thumb, you know, and, yeah. and it would become so obviously wrong and inappropriate and, and and that's a real testament to kind of how credible I think the film is, you know, and without any sort of wooden acting or whatever is the wrong word. But but yeah, it, it's not it doesn't feel like in any way like a dramatization, does it? Oh, it doesn't. And and in terms of the filming, I understand that you rigged the house with cameras, that there was no crew in there, that the family was basically um, as as Jonathan has described it, the Nazi Big Brother house. How did that work for you? I mean, it was really powerful because a take might be an hour long because that was the length of a memory stick in one of the ten cameras, and the cameras would be hidden, and and there were twenty hidden microphones. You know, John's brief was, "I want to hear people in the house." You know, and we felt that that observational thing of footsteps and teacups rattling and doors and everything was way more important. So we we hid microphones everywhere to capture the kind of ambience of people. And that became super powerful because when we put the film together, we would have, I, I would have all the different microphones lined up and I could say, okay, we still want to hear the boy banging the drum upstairs and that needs to go over these three shots or the whole scene or whatever. And so when Rudolph is lying in the office, listening to the football on the radio and we, you know, what really the, the mother, the wife was talking in, in the, in the kitchen at that time and the dog was running around and Elfrida was walking around with the baby and that was crying and the boys were upstairs and all these things. And, and the, the, uh, the younger boy and the girl were outside the window. And so we had all those sounds that really were taking place and, you know, and we perhaps repositioned them slightly, you know, so that you could hear everything, um, in its own space, but, but very much, I think that's why the film is so powerful because on a subliminal level, it's shockingly credible. You know, you're, you're, you're you know, whereas normally, a film would be, you know, you hear kind of room tone and a bit of dialogue with John. He's creating a whole, a whole world, and that's what we're aiming to do: was to use all this, you know, really uh, amazingly rich sound that is, you know, the the film set. Not only were there no crew, but it was a it was a proper build. So the the floor wasn't a sort of let's make this floor look concrete, but actually be made of rubber so that we don't interfere with the recording of the dialogue as you would. Um, it, you know, everything sounded like it, it should and the walls were solid. And so what we had was was 
really great sound. Wow. You're creating a world. You're creating something <laughs> natural, and 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 really bringing us into to the atrocity of the fact that it's so normal. It's hmm. it's atrocities committed by Mr. and Mrs. Smith, us, Commander Huss and his wife. I mean, they're hearing, but they're not listening. Um, what did you learn about them about this type of atrocity from immersing yourself so much in it? Yeah, well, you can shut your eyes, but you can't shut your ears. I suppose is is um is is what we're thinking. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was willful, wasn't it? That that they would be like that. But I think the minute that penny drops on you, you start thinking, well, obviously, that could be me. So you know how culpable am i in in all of this i think that was very much the point was that you know this is humans doing this to other humans and it's not look at those nazis it's um we all have this capacity for violence in us and and that's what we should be discussing how we turn that down more than anything else was there a scene that was more challenging than others for you it's certainly when um when rudolph is smoking a cigar in the garden and he's hearing the gas chamber at work um over the wall that that was even playing it was horrible but you know getting to a point where you can use adjectives like yeah that's good you know we like that or let's move on you know that you know there certainly was an amount of you know pragmatically we we have to focus on working on the film and you know and I know John very well and we're good friends and so working with him is you know it's cathartic because you're you, you know you have an end goal and you're making it but there but there were periods during that process where you you think what are we doing here you know, this is really difficult. Well, you've really made a film that speaks not only to the past, but of course to the present. So, so thank you. I'm going to move on to to some other projects you have done. Oh, thank goodness. Um, I know, I feel like. <laughs> but then before I get into that, I'm, I'm wondering when you're not on the job as a civilian, when you're walking around, um, maybe you're in, in LA now, when you're listening to things, what's your relationship to sound as, as a civilian? Are you working or? Yeah, I am, unfortunately. I, <laughs> I'm constantly thinking, oh, I wish I had a microphone and often record stuff. And, and it, it, I think it's really interesting because most people come at making a film soundscape by deciding what they uh, what they can put in. They tend to want to start with just the dialogue and then it's what do you add? And I always think, you know, I'd, let's go and see where that something as close to that exists in the real world and see and put all of that in and then see what you want to take out kind of thing. So interesting. And because invariably, you know, there's there's cars and and obviously sirens and the, and siren is something if you were doing a street scene in any city you would you would think to put in but you wouldn't think to put in man with shovel digging and that weird scraping noise or or any of those other so I'm always struck by the fortuitous spurious strange sounds and and those are the things that I think give you a better immersion because you're like oh you know on a subconscious level you're like yeah that does happen you know that, mm. that that's Oh, yeah. There's certain sounds you hate. Oh, God. well, the one sound I have a phobia of yeah. is, you know, like paper. If it if it rips like that, no problem. But if paper shears and separates, yes, two, <laughs> that whatever that is, oh man, it's like I, I'm done for the day then on sound. So you've never used that in a film. I don't don't want to hear it. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's your next horror film. Yeah. <laughs> And what about the sound you most loved? Oh, it's been my family. I would have thought, yeah, 
people um, talking people talking a nice warm environment yeah are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school the future of work is changing rapidly and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them in each episode we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Let's talk about Yorgos Lanthimos, who's also a longtime um, collaborator. How is he <laughs> different from Jonathan in terms of your collaboration with him? Uh, yeah, very different. Um, Jonathan is is rather hands-on and and wants to understand the nuts and bolts of how we do things together. And Yorgos is is exactly as meticulous and and you know and and incredibly high standards. But what he says to me is, you're the sound designer, you do it. So I, I now get to the point of pretty much finishing a film soundscape and mix and everything before playing it to him. Because, you know, because it was, you know, he's prolific. So he 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 needs to do that. But I was talking to him last night, actually, the governor at the Governor Awards, and about you know when can I pay you the next film that we're working on, Kinds of Kindness, and he was like, Have you finished it yet? And I'm like, Nearly. And he said, Well, you know, that's when you, that's when you play it. You know, I don't. There's no point involving me unless you're happy. And um, uh, and this came about because we we had done the lobster together, and that obviously went very well. And then we were working on Killing of a Sacred Deer and we had just got to the point of finishing editing the picture and I'd been somewhat involved in providing sounds that worked, made the cut work, sound design pieces. And and then um, uh, and we were about to go through and I was about to, you know, get him in for a spotting session and all of that stuff. And then the favourite became unexpectedly greenlit because I think Emma Stone became free. And he came in the next day and said, listen, I'm sorry, I've got to go and you're going to have to finish this film on your own what um <laughs> and and i said well can we just watch it and talk through and he was like no no i really am going now you know this minute and so oh, so we didn't even have the watch the film together conversation and the first time during the process of making it I, and i did the final mix and i got a car for him to come and watch it and you know and he just said i don't have the headspace to to you know i'm in the middle of another film and and so we smash cut to the can premiere where i'm sitting six seats over from Yorgos rather hot and sweaty myself and thinking oh my god I hope he likes it and you know the light go dim and off and the film plays and and uh yeah and then in the bar afterwards I was like so what did you think oh yeah, my did gosh. you like it <laughs> Jesus I mean it was the worst two hours of my life and you know he but he, he loved it right he loved it yeah I mean well Yorgos is Yorgos so I said what did you, did you like it and he said no not really <laughs> And uh, he said, but it's okay, we can fix it. And then when we fixed it, there was like, you know, three things that he didn't like. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I've earned his trust, I think, on that one. But what was interesting about that was was that he he really forced me to, to uh, I spent a whole lifetime giving a director three versions, you know, do you want chicken or beef or fish or whatever. And, and, but I realized, I came to realize that you, there is only one solution and you just have to think harder and, and you have to wear the hat of the filmmaker, not the sound designer. And, and you have to, you know, find what's best for the film. And there is only one thing. I love that. Advice for life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's only one way. Um, yeah. But what was the brief he gave you for poor things, which sort of atmospherically feels so different from what we were just talking about? And 
I'm thinking that the sounds are sort of from Bella's perspective, who's who's learning life from the beginning. Yeah. Um, honestly, he didn't give me a brief. I mean, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that I, I, I definitely always try and, you know, work from a subjective point of view on any scene. And I, you know, I remember when I first met Jordan Peele, he was like, I think I understand what you try and do with sound, you know, and he said, it's about subjectivity, right? And even if a scene is not a POV or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so um, I think, you know, Yorgos knows that I understand his filmmaking. And when Yorgos chooses a collaborator, it is exactly you are chosen because, you know, because you understand how I want to make a film and you understand what we're all trying to do here. So do your thing. And here's the space in which you, you know, have as much free space as you like to, to do what you want to do. So, so yeah, that was all about, um, on the one hand, creating uh, unusual environments that stood up and sounded normal in amongst, you know, these extraordinary set builds and, and how kind of wild and surreal they are so that, uh, people like my mother who would say what do you mean you do the sound on films they sound all right to me she they <laughs> would think that that sounded normal when it isn't but you know but commensurately feels like it um and then understanding how to yeah exactly as you say how to pitch every scene so that it becomes a protagonist point of view normally better and what is the sound that you use to make god's belch <laughs> yeah that, well i won't do it right now but there's yeah, it's uh, it is a belch, and it's it also um, yeah. I mean, so much of sound I tend to do with my own voice. Um, the the process of making note was um, a, a lot of the sound design. The first six months was Jordan and I on a Zoom call. Jordan Peele's note you're talking about, yeah. Sorry, yeah, Jordan Peele's yeah. note. But there there was for six months I would meet him two or three times a week for for an hour on Zoom where I would go through what I had discovered and and a lot of it because it was a zoom call I would just do with my mouth um because that was the easiest way of demonstrating to him and so those things stayed in the film um but yeah so that's what God oh you have is. to demonstrate something now that you said it from nope. well, <laughs> <laughs> on on note there's the um the of the of the monster is a and the is is the it's searching, but it's like a, that's massively slowed down. So Amazing. That, uh, so that's that's the kind of big, um, yeah, monster sound. But uh, yeah, and so God's thing was a combination of of, uh, of a burp and and this thing that uh, these amazing amazing Foley team um, did with a tube, a pipe, and a and a flask and a big funnel thing. So yeah talking about jordan peele because because the sound is absolutely stunning in in nope feel it's like the same idea right lots of the violence isn't really shown we're, we're feeling the violence through your work um what was what was his brief in terms of how he wanted that to feel yeah he's um again he's very hands-on jordan he re and he really understands sound you know he's a musician and and all, all of those um you know multiply talented people things but he um um yeah what was the brief it was and that was really interesting because he he sent me the script and um and I sent him back a few ideas that I thought would help use sound slightly more integratedly and and he sent me an, and he'd put them all in you know he was he he um you know he would embrace the idea of of revising the script a little to in order to uh push the sound narrative and um and I think that's really powerful because there's so much where 
you obviously don't have to see something and it and the then because you know the image that you draw in your own head is always going to be more scary than mm -hmm. the one that you get shown so i think that's what he was sort of really understanding and um what were his briefs um yeah so much of it was was just about uh creating an identity and a and a character for for this monster something that was sort of unique and iconic i think was the the main gist is there a, a genre or a filmmaker that you'd love to to work in or with that really would be a challenge for you i mean you've done so much i would have liked to work with casavitas and i would have <laughs> i mean i i yeah i do want to work with safty brothers either one of them oh. would do um interesting but... <laughs> why but just because I think that that you know, good time is so extraordinary, and the energy and uncut gems, and I, and just because I think they are, you know, really forward thinking and and trying to uh, you know break boundaries, and and that's what I find really exciting is is trying to tell stories in new ways of telling stories. Yes, of it is is an interesting. I mean, because that's you know very naturalistic and people very, talking yeah. and and. What other films and sound designers have influenced you historically? I'm I'm um, thinking you're going to say Walter Murch. <laughs> I, yeah, Walter Murch would be easily the go-to, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, I what I didn't, yeah, it's extraordinary. Um, you know, obviously Apocalypse Now is an incredible seminal film for which the term sound design was coined, pretty much. And and um, but uh, you know, and Blowout, what what a that Brian De Palma film. That is an amazing use of sound and very useful for someone like me to explain to someone who is outside the industry. You know, this is what a sound designer person does. Of course, that's right. The topic of the, the narrative, the, the plot or whatever. But yeah, no, I, I'm absolutely uh, excited by any filmmaker who, who wants to, who understands that, you know, just because sound is cheap, it doesn't mean that it's it's not a very powerful, you know, 50% oh. of, the, of the experience kind of thing. And what filmmakers now as a cinema goer are, do you sit in the audience and, and think is the Safdie brothers you mentioned, are there more? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, who's using sound? Ryan Coogler is using sound pretty well. I think Sophia Coppola thinks about sound. Well, I think um, there's got to be more than that, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Trey Schultz, um, Trey Edward Schultz, you know, waves. Mm -hmm. and I only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, because you've worked with these amazing artists, I understand, like Travis Scott and Madonna, even Prince, um, David Bowie. What is something you learned from someone like David Bowie that you've carried on? Um, oh, with him, probably be nice to people, be be pleasant. <laughs> and, you know. Uh, I love that. <laughs> because he was, you're saying. Yeah, absolutely charming. And, and even, you know, to a sort of, yeah, I mean, to everybody, you know, to every everybody you meet, um, even the person who brings you the cup of tea, have a conversation with them and enrich their lives. And in terms of sound? Oh, right. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, goodness, Madonna scared the hell out of me. I spent two weeks with sitting with her and normally, you know, someone would sit in the room with you, but... Madonna sits at the mixing desk with you, you know, next to you, you know, in your space and, and is sort of like, how about 368 kilohertz? And you're like, what? Oh my God, you know so much. I'm, you know, good for her. professionally threatened. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think uh, what, what I learned from 
those early experiences were, was that in order to have the creative space to do something really well, you need to have the technical aspects locked down so tightly that they are second nature. So, mm -hmm. um, so all of the, I had some traumatizing experiences where I realized I needed to now go and stay up very late for a number of weeks and learn some stuff that I didn't know. Well, that's how it's done. You need your 10,000 hours or whatever it's called. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe more. Maybe more. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Byrne, thank you so much for taking your time with me. And thank you for you really made um, incredible cinematic experiences for me this year. And um, I really appreciate it. I'll, I'll carry them with me. Christina, it's so lovely to talk to you. And thank, thank you for your kind words. Yeah, really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much to Johnny Byrne, sound designer, supervising sound editor, and re-recording mixer on The Zone of Interest, Poor Things, and so many other films. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on X and Instagram at Christina Biro, B-I-R-R-O. Pop Culture Confidential is a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. See you next time. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 